Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Off the top this morning, though, a provocative but important new study from the C.D. Howe Institute. Now, vaccines, I think, unfortunately, COVID vaccines have become politicized, have become a flashpoint. But ultimately, there's some important questions, I think, to be asked and answered about the impact that vaccines have had. Now, Canada's vaccine rollout, it feels like a million years ago now, uh, didn't go so smoothly initially, but eventually uh, Canada was able to to bring in and to administer significant amounts of vaccines. Canada's COVID vaccination rate is quite high, certainly when compared to, to other countries globally. So what did we get for that? Well, that's where this uh, new report from the C.D. Howe Institute comes in. And really, for the first time, kind of quantify the impact of that, uh, that vaccine rollout, both, both in terms of the health impact, but also related to that, the economic impact. And both were considerable in terms of lives saved and in terms of benefit to the economy. Almost 35,000 fewer deaths than would otherwise have been the case. And a net economic impact somewhere in the neighborhood of $30 billion. So joining us to talk more about this study, how we go about measuring such things. Uh, one of the co-authors is Rosalie Wanch, who's a senior policy analyst at the C.D. Howe Institute. CDHowe.org is the website. You can read this study for yourself. Rosalie, great to have you with us here this morning. Welcome to the program. Thanks, and I'm happy to be here. Uh, I mean, you know, it's somewhat rare that you can put the words good news next to anything COVID-related. And so yeah. uh, that's that's one of the, maybe, maybe one, one of the things that I'd, I'm happy to really talk about after a few years of, um, shall we say, not so good news about COVID. Well, no kidding. And, and even around the vaccine, I mean, it feels like, you know, initially there was you know, controversy and controversy and problems with obtaining and rolling out the vaccines. I, I think, you know, to some extent, you know, the debates around vaccination policy became a flashpoint. But ultimately, there is a good news story here about the impact these vaccines have. So first of all, talk about why it's important to, to better understand that and then how you go about doing so. Well, I think that part of what you've, part of why it's important is what you've just said that, you know, there was some controversy about vaccination and different policies, as well as, you know, we've had a recent auditor report talking about how, um, you know, maybe we could have done better, wasted fewer doses. And so really the, the important part about studies like this is when you, we need to look back at what happened and try and understand what the impacts were so that we can actually decide one way or the other, whether there was a net benefit, whether it was too costly, um, and really just learn for the next potential infectious disease crisis what we can about what's effective and what the cost of of those effects are. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's really the reason that we were doing it. And, and just the way that we are analyzing it is uh, really two parts. We, we look at the case and vaccination data and do a direct statistical analysis of um, really we model what would have happened if we didn't have vaccination. Right. Um, and then we compare that to the actual case numbers that we 
we saw we see in the data to come up with the estimated reduction. So what we find is that there was approximately a 21% reduction in cases, 37% fewer hospitalizations. And as you mentioned, it appears that vaccines prevented about 35,000 deaths in the population 50 years and older. Uh, and so that, that really is quite a large benefit. And we also look at the costs of um, actually administering the vaccines to see if there was a net benefit. And in that direct analysis, we, we do find some benefits, but we also do a second part where we look at uh, really, again, using a different approach, modeling what would have happened if we didn't have vaccines, this time looking at the economy instead of health. Mm-hmm. And really that's where the main impacts come in. And so really the way that we're thinking about this, uh, say the economic impact is, if we didn't have vaccination, we had been living with rolling lockdowns for a few years, a decent amount of uncertainty uh, for businesses and for individuals about what was risky behavior and what wasn't, what that what might be allowed today might not be allowed tomorrow. Um, and so really the vaccines allowed for us to get out of that rolling lockdown situation and really did also did quite a lot to uh, reduce anxiety and depression symptoms in the population. So vaccines, aside from just their direct health impact, also had quite a lot of benefit in terms of us being able to get out of some of those uh, public health restrictions and economic restrictions that, let's face it, were becoming controversial the longer they went on. Yeah, that's an important point. Now, this study looks at a specific period. So January 2021 is the starting point, And that's when basically, you know, vaccines started to, to trickle in. Our initial uh, doses went out that, that month. So it goes from January 2021 20, to, I guess, er, earlier this year? Yeah, to uh, about mid-year, the end okay. of May. Which I, I assume maybe that's where we would have the most recent available data then? Uh, there, there, is, um, there are consistent updates uh, of the data and partly why that's when the study period ends is just sort of the boring answer of how long it takes to get research through academic peer review and, um, you know, the time it takes to update this analysis. And so, you know, I think that more work will need to be done looking at the later period, uh, particularly with respect to what were the impacts of booster doses and, um, you know, changing Omicron variants as they move forward and also looking at waning immunity. So these are things that, you know, we're not out of the pandemic yet, so we still need to be tracking these impacts. Yeah, it's interesting. Just on the point about lives saved, I mean, Canada, for this entire pandemic, we've had a total of about forty-eight to 49,000 deaths. So when you talk about 35,000 deaths prevented, even within kind of a, a more confined uh, time window here, that's considerable, right? I mean, you know, essentially our, our death toll, absent vaccinations could have been perhaps twice as high as it is. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Almost, yes. And that's, that's really, I think, the most significant impact is that uh, COVID-19, at least the earlier variants, was quite a dangerous virus and also for younger populations as well. But as the virus has evolved, the risk of more severe outcomes really in terms of being hospitalized or even um, dying due to infection really was more likely for the senior population or people that were already immunocompromised. Yeah. And so really the vaccines were most effective at reducing um, mortality and hospitalization. They weren't quite as effective at preventing cases, but really through reduced transmission and just their direct effect at lowering uh, the severity of disease, we we really did have strong impacts, particularly for protecting the most vulnerable in society. So in terms of the policy implications uh, from all of this, in terms of navigating what's left of this pandemic, but also, you know, looking at at future challenges down the road. Now, you did touch on, on, you know, the idea of public health restrictions and some of the lessons learned from that, maybe to be more targeted in our approach. What about on that side? Yeah, really, the the main conclusion is that uh, lockdowns were really before we had vaccines, but there was a need to disrupt the spread of COVID. And so these public health restrictions were necessary, but they were incredibly costly. And really, in in a lot of cases, at least initially, they were implemented kind of across the economy, regardless of age, urbanization, or other characteristics. And so we've also found that the economic costs associated with restrictions can um, can be reduced without having a negative impact on health. Uh, simply by being more targeted and, again, focusing on those vulnerable populations where it might be just as safe to allow young people to do certain things while advising elderly or more vulnerable people to avoid certain activities. So really just thinking about it as a targeted as opposed to a uniform strategy, we can get equal or better results while also, you know, not having as much damage to the economy. When it comes to, to vaccines and vaccine rollouts, or even the, you know, the approval process, it was quite a remarkable, you know, series of events that occurred, right? The, the rapid development of these vaccines, the race to, to manufacture them as quick as possible, the competition almost at some level between countries to, to be the first to, to get their hands on these vaccines, and then obviously bringing them in, administering them, rolling them out, etc. What, what lessons can we learn from, from this? Well, I think that we really should highlight how much of an achievement this is globally, that not just one, but many COVID-19 vaccines were approved and available within 12 months of the arrival of this virus. I think that is, it's a world record. So that's first that it's worth pointing out that just globally, the speed of development and the organization of massive international clinical trials was impressive and we learned a lot. Also, since we managed to get the vaccines quickly, um, part of that was that we changed our regulatory processes. We allowed for ongoing submission and certain processes that normally go in sequence could be done at the same time. 
Um, so essentially, safety and efficacy was being looked at at the same time that procurement and production ideas were being looked at. And so really, we got that we got the vaccines into Canada in about a year. Um, and normally, for any other product, it takes about 18 months from when Health Canada has approved a drug to it being available on a public plan and available to Canadians through our public health care system. So we actually managed to do the entire research, development, approval, procurement process in less time than it normally takes to just go from it already being approved to being available. So I think there's a lot to be learned for our other regulatory processes and the importance and benefits of getting um, new innovative products to Canadians as quickly as possible, since that's really where the bulk of the benefit we see comes from. Um, and also, I think that it's important for us to think about how public health vaccination campaigns will go in the future, uh, simply because they, we did have quite high success with COVID vaccination campaigns and did achieve some of the highest vaccination rates in the world, but we've had really less pickup of continuing booster doses and we also see a slightly lower uptake of influenza vaccines while we're also seeing respiratory diseases overwhelming hospitals across the country so i think there's something to be learned about keeping population immunity high and encouraging ongoing uh you know ongoing protection from various respiratory illnesses it's interesting because, you know, the, the level of vaccination that, that we achieved in the population here was, was remarkable. But I think, I don't know if it's, you know, there's vaccination fatigue or there's been a pushback from, from those opposed to vaccines. We've seen vaccination rates uh, elsewhere drop. What can we learn from, from that? Because it feels like as much as we achieved, you know, vaccination has become more polarized. Yeah, well, and I can't say I can't say for certain because our research didn't look at sort of vaccine hesitancy directly. Mm-hmm. Um, but from from my previous research and what we know about flu vaccination, um, I think for a large portion of the population, it will just be complacency, not necessarily, um, you know, truly not wanting to get a vaccine, but feeling that they've, you know, they did their part, they got their three doses. And also since Omicron is uh, simply less deadly and highly infectious, that they may not um, feel that it has as much benefit for them personally. Uh, And so I think that part of its complacency, part of its fatigue, um, there will be some people that just for their own reasons do not want the vaccine and, you know, we can still achieve pretty high vaccination rates without even talking about the people that truly don't want to get vaccinated for be it skepticism or other reasons. Um, And so I think really we're actually going close for COVID vaccination and booster uptake. We're actually closer to um, the uptake for flu vaccinations. It's higher for the senior population, um, higher for medical professionals in general, but for the adult population, we've kind of just gotten into this complacent place. And so I think from a public health perspective, um, there's sort of an onus on government and healthcare providers to really encourage that continued uptake, um, even if not specifically to protect oneself, 
to also be protective of, say, the more vulnerable in your yeah. personal social circles or in society. Yeah, exactly. Much more as mentioned, cdhow.org. Really important uh, and interesting study. Rosalie, thanks so much for joining us here today. Appreciate it.